You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight, nutritionist and chef Sid Sheehan is going to be in studio talking about what to pack in the children's lunchbox and how to boost their immunity. I have an interview with organic farmer Eileen O'Sullivan, who's a former presenter here on West Limerick 102 FM. We missed Ron Forrestal in his wines last week, but he's going to be here tonight with some recommendations. And Cathy Choihan from Loch Ney Fisherman's Cooperative Society will be telling us about the River to Loch Festival that's on this Saturday in County Antrim. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me a line, s.noonan at live.ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, short for Queen of Organisation. So, as I said tonight, I'm joined in studio by our resident nutritionist, Sid Sheehan from Nourish by Nature in Listowel. And Sid's going to talk about something that I suspect a lot of parents struggle with and something that I'm going to have to deal with from the 1st of September when my daughter Hannah ventures into junior infants for the first time, and that is the lunchbox. Whether you dread putting it together or not, may it be for one or six, it still has to be done, and I'm very confident that Sid is going to be able to help us all out. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sid, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks, Mill and Sharon, for having me in again. A very important subject tonight because people are going to get bogged down with the lunchbox, what to put into it, and they get totally stressed out over it. But you're going to help us tonight. Yeah, that's uh, that's the plan. Anyway. I think there is a huge focus on the kids returning to school over the next couple of weeks. And something that we do miss out on as parents or something that we kind of neglect is what to put into the kids' lunchboxes. And in particular, what I want to look at this evening is how to boost a child's child's immune system returning to school. So just a quick look at the immune system. What is it? Uh, what's the purpose of it? And where is it found? Um, the immune system, it's found in the lymph nodes, in the spleen, in bone marrow, but primarily in our small intestine. Now, of course, we're familiar with all the other systems in the body, the muscular system, skeletal, the skin. Something that we kind of forget about, again, is the immune system and the importance of it. So the main purpose of it, what does it do? Basically, it's our frontline defense system. So it protects us against all illnesses, uh, bacteria, all any kind of microorganisms like that that might invade our body. So that's the purpose of it. The best way of describing it, it's like the skin on the inside of our body. So the lining of our small intestine, and that's the purpose of it, to protect us against everything. So we're going to have a quick look at just how to boost it, uh, through foods primarily, and also then through supplementation. Obviously, when kids go back to school, they're going to be interacting with more people than they would have been maybe during the summer. So they're going to be more prone to picking up bugs. Exactly. And this is where the problem lies, especially the initial few weeks returning to school. The immune system can be compromised after the break. Um, They're out of routine, out of sync during the summer. And obviously as well, their food and their diet is out of sync during the summer. We, we all spoil kids a little bit, you know, they have additional ice cream, they have additional soft drinks. And so we spoil them with junk foods and they miss out a lot on good whole foods. So like fruit, veg, whole grains, stuff like that. And then when they return to school into a new classroom, maybe new kids in there and they're susceptible then to a whole host of different illnesses and bacteria that might be floating around inside the classroom. 
Okay, well, what's the first tip that you have? Okay, something I want to look at this evening is juicing. So this is one of the best ways, really, to get um, maximum nutrients into kids. Um, Look, we'll just face it, most kids just do not like eating veg. It's going to be a battle that every parent has. My daughter is nine and she would have a relatively good, healthy, clean diet. But still, when it comes to dinner time of the evening, there's the usual daily battle with fruit and veg. So instead of battling to get them to eat a few carrots or a few peas or whatever the case may be on the plate in the evening, I would look at getting it into them in its raw state first thing in the morning and if they can drink it rather than have to force feed them. So and get the kids involved in the juicing as well. I find that's one of the best things. So go out, invest in a juicer. You don't have to spend huge money on one. You'll pick up a decent juicer for 40, 50 euros. Uh, the one that I use all the time at home and it gets a lot of use we use it in a lot of the classes as well at the cookery school I think I paid just over 100 euros a couple of years back 6-8 years ago and it's still going strong so uh, invest in a good juicer um, I'll just give you a quick recipe for just a nice simple juice one that one the, the kids will actually like juice doesn't have to be punitive or anything like that um, you're not going to have to be glugging down a pint of celery juice or anything like that first thing in the morning before you go off to school so a good simple one if you do go out buy a juicer don't put it into the cupboard because you are going to forget about it and again the biggest thing with the juicer people say it's too much work there's too much cleaning involved in it you know there isn't the time that it's going to take you to wash a couple of cereal bowls after a cornflakes take the juicer apart put it into the sink top it up with warm sudsy water and you know clean it in the afternoon if you need to and is this juice a substitute for the breakfast is it this the breakfast? would be uh, you can have it as a breakfast but it probably wouldn't fill them as much so you could make your juice first and then turn that into a smoothie with the addition of something like a good kind of um, a natural yogurt or something like that which will have a little bit more substance to it but if you can kickstart the morning with a fresh juice and then let them have maybe cereal ideally something healthy, a healthier cereal like porridge wheat mix a good whole grain cereal but just getting back to the juice, a good sweet one the kids will like, so it's nice and palatable. Um, start off with three or four simple ingredients. So two nice green apples, a quarter of a fresh lemon. So you don't peel anything because all the goodness, all the nutrients is in the skin. So just give it a rinse underneath the tap, maybe to wash off any pesticides or something like that that might be lingering on it. And do you need to cut it up? Uh, most of the juicers, again, the shoot on the top of them will be big enough so you can actually to accommodate a whole apple. Okay. So most of them, if you are going to go out and buy one, just have a look at the top of it and see if you'll get an apple in there. Yeah. Um, if you'll fit an eating apple in there, most other fruit and veg will fit in as well. So two green apples, um, a quarter of a fresh lemon, maybe a whole carrot, just washed, unpeeled, pop that in as well, and a little bit of ice then, crushed ice or something like that. It's really nice, really sweet. If you get into the habit or get the kids into the habit of having that first thing in the morning, then you could add a few additional ingredients. But do get the kids involved in this. Let them put the apples in. And it's when they see, they're mesmerized when they see a liquid coming out of carrots and apples and stuff like that. Then you can start getting additional ones in there, which really boost their immunity. So fresh beetroot is an absolutely brilliant one. It's probably one of the most powerful antioxidants you can have. Um, and it's going to turn their, their drink bright purple or bright pink and obviously with young kids as well they're going to be mesmerised you know a few hours later when it turns everything else pink oh lovely but okay, you know lovely. it's good to see them let them get them involved um, put some fresh pineapple in there gives it a nice kind of sweet taste as well 
during the winter then as well we're not in the depths of winter at the moment so you know juice isn't the hardest thing but even on a cold morning put a little bit of fresh ginger in there that's really going to heat things up a bit it'll warm you up straight away when you drink it so if you can get a glass of that into the kids first thing in the morning at least you don't have to feel too guilty about force feeding their few peas in the evening okay well that's a good tip so it's a good one for everybody not just kids but for adults as well you know so we and we should be all getting back into a good routine in a few weeks when they're when they're back at school and when you were in the last time, you were talking about arthritis and inflammation and you mentioned turmeric. Could you put a bit of turmeric in there? Yeah, it's something that I always, that. Yeah, I always throw in a little bit of uh, turmeric into the juices as well. Or if you are turning it into a smoothie, like I said a minute ago, with the addition of a natural yogurt. If you can't have yogurt for some reason, if you don't like it or if you're dairy intolerant, you can put in a nice ripe avocado. You can put in a ripe banana, something like that that will give it a little bit more substance as well. And that's a good opportunity then to throw in half a teaspoon of dried turmeric. If you can get your hands on fresh turmeric, better again. But the dried one is perfectly um, acceptable as well. Okay, well, that's the smoothie then. What about the lunch buckets? Lunchbox ideas then again. So we're back down to, you know, it's usually the white bread sandwich with a slice of ham or some sort of a processed meat and maybe a slice of cheese or a cheese string or something like that um, or a really, really sweet yogurt. So if you are going for the sandwich, you're not, again, let's face it, you're not going to get a kid to go off to school with a lunchbox full of vegetable crudités and hummus or something like that. If you can, absolutely brilliant. But when it comes to the basic sandwich, you know, start off with change to brown bread instead of white bread. It's a good one. Um, maybe get some fish into them if they will eat it. So a little bit of tuna. Uh, turkey is a good one in a sandwich. Um, they can have a little bit of cheese. But again, if you're going with cheese in a sandwich, try and stay away from stuff like the individually wrapped easy singles and stuff like that. They don't really bear any resemblance to actual cheese. So go for a good kind of a hard cheddar. Um, a good brown bread sandwich with meat and cheese is probably one of the most ideal all-round kind of balanced meals for a child because they're getting their carbohydrate, their protein and their fat mm-hmm. in perfect kind of proportions. Um, yeah, Hannah has a bit of an aversion to cheese for whatever reason. So what would you recommend that I put in its place? Instead of cheese, no, like that. I think we all overindulge in cheese anyway, so it's not a must-have in there. You can have plenty other sources of good fats in there. If you will get a child to eat something like fresh avocado, um, try them out. It's not a very strong taste, so that's a good one. If they can have a little bit of that in their sandwich or in their lunchbox, they'll get their good fats from that, so they don't necessarily have to have cheese. And how do you feel about these cheese string things and the baby bell a lot of people um, might be using those in their lunch so, yeah a lot of people are using those I actually came across a study a couple of years back I was reading up on cheese strings because being a nutritionist and a chef I thought straight away when I saw these cheese strings that okay they're completely unnatural it turns out they're not the worst in the world um, obviously they are processed uh, quite a lot to get them to resemble this kind of stuff but um, there isn't a huge amount of ingredients added to them so it is still cheese. It has been altered to a certain stage to get it like that. Um, again, try and, I wouldn't be giving the kids cheese strings every day of the week. A lot of lunch boxes, they'll have two or three of them a day in there, which, you know, is a little bit too much. Pretty unappetising in my view. Now, fortunately, they don't like them at all in our house, but they yeah, just well, wouldn't do it for me. Yeah, you're one of the lucky ones. So, But uh, the baby bell cheese, that's not bad. That um, probably resembles kind of a hard cheddar, again, okay. more so than the cheese string. 
Uh, When it comes to the yogurt in a lunchbox, um, the tiny little miniature ones that are really, really sweet, try and stay away from those if you can, because that's a massive sugar load that you're giving the kids. Um, so if you can kind of wean them off those a little bit get a good natural one you can get the fruit pots so you've got a natural yogurt on one side a little bit of fruit puree on the other side it does have sugar in it but it's not going to have as much of a sugar load as the little petty falous or whatever brand you're, you're, you're using What is the rule of thumb whenever you're looking at the ingredients like how much sugar per 100 grams of product, um, say? Off the top of my head, I'm not quite sure. But again, with these, I would say as a general rule, if it says no added sugar, I would stay away from those ones. Because if there's no added sugar in it, don't fool yourself into thinking that there is no sweetener in it. There's obviously something in there that makes it every bit of sweet, if not sweeter. So the ones that have no artificial, or sorry, no sugar, that they have an artificial sweetener and said, stay away from those ones. I would rather see a kid having a little bit of the full sugar yogurt instead of the no added sugar ones. Um, Go for the ones that have reduced sugar on them. But if you see no added sugar, I would steer clear of those ones again. Okay. All right. Any other advice for us, Sid? Any other ideas? Uh, for lunchbox ideas, try and get fruit into the kids. It's probably one of the most important ones. Um, I think we spoke before about bananas. They're a good one. Most kids will eat a banana probably quicker than they will with um, an apple or something like that. If you are getting a banana into the lunchbox for the kid, go for the nice ripe banana. We spoke about this before, I think, the ones with the brown spots in them. So the sugars in these have already started to break down. So they're better for the kids um, and they have lots of other benefits to them as well. Grapes are another good one. Any of the berries which are packed again with antioxidants. So get some blueberries, raspberries, fresh strawberries, stuff like that. Stay away from biscuits, obviously, chocolate bars and stuff like that. And we're lucky enough again at one because most schools, I think, are on board with the lunchboxes and you know they have a healthy eating policy yeah, and they send out a list really of what yeah, not to put in and exactly, suggestions yeah. which is great it is fantastic to see the whole thing moving that way and with the drinks again go with water um, try and stay away from most of the other ones if possible okay well thanks so much for coming in tonight just remind the listeners of your web address because you have some great recipes up there and no doubt you'll be putting these tips yeah, up so, there as yeah, well the, even the simple juice recipe that we just gave out um, I'm going to pop that up as well on the website so it'll be there for everybody uh, the website is www.nourishbynature.ie or you can follow us on Facebook as well and that's Nourish by Nature Listol fantastic Sid thanks for coming in this evening thanks a million Sharon cheers chin chin salut schleinte Thanks again to Sid Sheehan from Nourish by Nature for all that great advice. One thing he didn't mention there was to make sure mummy has a tissue or two to hand if it's her firstborn skipping off for the first time. I'm welling up here just thinking about next Tuesday. However, apologies for digressing. If you have a health issue and you want to find out if certain foods could help it or indeed might be making it worse, please drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie and I'll put it to Sid on his next visit to the studio. Still to come tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants returns with some wine suggestions and Cathy Choihan from Loch Ney Fisherman's Cooperative Society will be telling us about the River to Loch Festival that's on this Saturday in County Antrim. Next, though, it's time to move from the studio to an organic farm just outside Arda in County Limerick. Eileen O'Sullivan was one of the first presenters on West Limerick 102 FM 10 years ago. In fact, I think she could have been the first voice anybody ever heard over the airwaves, but I'm not 100% sure about that.
She's since hung up her headphones, but not her gardening equipment. She holds open days every Saturday during the fine weather, and you can wander around and pick whatever takes your fancy. I took some time out a few weeks ago and paid a visit to her one Saturday to find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Eileen, I've just had the most amazing tour of your farm here. There's so much going on and it all started in 2004. Yes, that's right. In 2004, I retired from teaching and I went to Drumconnor to the Organic College and I did two years there. And while I was there, I started off with the farmer's market. Um, Therese Meany and Mary McCarthy came to me and asked me, would I ever join? was just Therese really would I ever join the farmer's market and I thought okay I'm doing the organic course in Drumcolour I might as well do it so I did I and started and what sort of produce were you selling then at the time it was totally different I wasn't growing to sell at that stage so I reverted back to what I always do which was um I used to do art and teach art so I made a lot of stuff myself and I did stained glass and stuff like that and sold it and then I got got on to all my past students who had been in our college and they brought me produce and I sold it for them. Uh, I didn't charge them anything because I was so delighted to be able to sell the stuff for them and then that kind of evolved then. Um, there was a lady in the market, herself and her son, they were English and they did jams and she did fabulous business. And then something happened in England and she had to go back to England with the son. And people kept coming to the market and saying, where is the jam lady? Where is the jam lady? And I thought, okay, this is the way I should be going, really. So I started growing the stuff and then making it. So that was the beginning of my jams. I had a load of crab apples trees and I started with crab apple and clove jelly. There's no corner of the land here untouched. Tell us about all the different things that you grow now. There is the crab apples, there's ordinary apples. Ordinary apples, eating apples, cooking apples. Yeah, there's blackcurrants, gooseberries, strawberries, raspberries. Um, anything that you can make jam out of really and truly is there. Then I make chutney out of, I grow basil and garlic. So they go into, you know, the basil, um, sorry, into the pesto. So, what else have I? And some people find it very difficult to grow basil. I was uh, listening to an interview that Trish McMahon from The Exchange did with Brian McDermott, the no-salt chef who's based in Donegal, and he said out of all the herbs that he grows, he just cannot grow basil. But you have no problem growing it. I have no problem. No, it is temperamental. And I suppose over the years, you, you do learn what not to do with it, you know. It doesn't like water. It doesn't like being drenched, you know, uh, at all, at all. It is a Mediterranean plant, so you have to pull back on the water and do very, very little water altogether. That's really it. I think that's the secret, really, of basil. But there are different varieties of basils then that you can actually get. There is a Greek basil, which is like... Um, there's there's a magic, a magic Michael basil would you believe it it grows into a kind of a, a bush um magic michael i'll not forget that name. you won't forget that name uh, and it grows into a small tiny little kind of a bushy plant um the greek basil has tiny tiny leaves in it as well too um and you know there's there's loads of varieties so you just pick a variety genevieve 
I suppose the sweet Genevieve is, is the one that I actually grow most and I've got used to it. Um, it's got used to me too, maybe the way I treat it. I don't know. But definitely in the greenhouse. <laughs> it doesn't grow anywhere else for me, just in the greenhouse. Well, since 2004, you have developed quite a, a range of produce here and you were selling it to different restaurants. You're making all your lovely jams and pestos. But of late, you find it quite difficult to manage everything because there is so much. So you actually open the farm up for people to come into it. Yeah, that's correct, Sharon. I, the workload was deadly that I, that I had. Um, I'm a workaholic. I never sit down, there's always something to be done, you know, but um, it it was just getting too much for me. I retired 10 years ago and here I am trying to retire now again after spending 10 years doing this. So I pull back a small little bit and now what I do, um, I just open the place every Saturday from 2 to 5 for June, July and August and September, those months. And do you find there's a lot of local people come and maybe some tourists, would they come as well? I don't get tourists. I usually get people who have picked up my leaflet somewhere, like inside in Sunnis, in the library. You know, I, I put the leaflet in shops around. Um, you see, the shops that I used to deliver to before when I was selling jam and things, um, they have my leaflets, so people know of me. But they're mostly local people, you know, are a radius of maybe 20 miles, and they keep coming back again. And that's what I love to see. And anything that isn't picked or bought here, you turn it into something else, be it compost, be it jam, a pesto, whatever. You waste nothing and you're big into recycling as well. Yes, I am. I'm big into recycling. Uh, When I was teaching, I used to do um, a post-leavenser course on communications and recycling was big in my (laughs) vocabulary at the time. And it was way before it became trendy. But I really believe in it, and and I've kept that up. And everything you can see around here is kind of recycled, you know. Lads have a, my lads have a joke: if you stay long enough in the one position, mam will recycle you, you know. <laughs> but I do believe in recycling because I think our footprint is miles too big, and we have to think of our planet. Your teaching hasn't really left you at all because their students come here quite often as well. Well, the students from Drumcolour, um, who are doing the course in Drumcolour, they come here for their work experience. And um, FOSS people from Gleedy, they come here for work experience. They used to anyway. And what else? Oh, yeah, FETAC. There's FETAC level three and four last year. This year, it's level four. It's over two years. So this year is their last year doing it. And it's Marie Tuttle who used to do a radio programme with me in 102 back in the very early days. Um, Marie and myself did a programme. And uh, she, uh, she's here now, actually, as a tutor for FETEC Level 4. It must be nice to have that interaction because gardening in itself can be quite a, an isolated type of activity, which is, mm. is great, can be great for the mind and can be, can be very rewarding in itself. But if you're doing it seven days a week, because this, to me, this looks like a seven day a week operation and very long hours. So it must be nice to have people coming in and out and mm-hmm. to be having chats with them about different things that you're growing. That is true. And actually, the, the, the FETAC level three and four here, they keep me on my toes because 
the place has to be a certain standard while they're here, you know, and people coming in, it has to be a certain standard. Plus, I used to have open days, you know, there for the last, what, five, seven, the last seven years, I had one open day, one big open day. And there was a mad rush to get everything right and everything just so... Now I have the mad rush every Saturday to get the place some way, you know, presentable. And that's really, it does keep you on your toes. But I love other people coming in. I do. I love the company. Out of all the seasons in the year, what is your favourite season? Oh, I think the spring. This where you're all the time sowing seed. and, And you're hopeful for what's about to come. I love it. I love the spring. I like all of them, but I, I love the spring. Yeah, yeah. And out of all the the foods that you and fruits and everything that you you grow, what would your favourite be? Which one do you mm. love to go out and see coming into to season and ready to harvest? I love raspberries. I really do. The autumn raspberries, there it, it is gorgeous. There's a lovely smell in the air, um, and there is a kind of a feeling of autumn as well too, because they don't come out until. August, you know, maybe into September. You still have them in September. Last year, I remember there were more raspberries that I could actually deal with, and I had to go off and buy another freezer and put them into it. But but that's lovely. That's that's part of it, isn't it? But you have a huge crop of raspberries there. I've never seen so many raspberries. And this all started from what six plants? You, six you plants. told me earlier on you bought yeah. six plants of, of the raspberries strawberries and gooseberries was it gooseberries, yeah in 2004 yes and you've never bought another one since no i grow everything from cuttings and you know and seed yeah it's just amazing and as you look around then there are so many lovely surprises there from white strawberries mm-hmm. black tomatoes <laughs> yes like it's it's not always and you do have the traditional strawberries and tomatoes there but there's so many lovely surprises as well yeah well that's the influence really of I think Marie Tuttle in the class you know you're all the time thinking about different things that are coming down the line or new ideas that are out so you're trying everything new that's it so you've retired once before you're talking about retiring again but I don't mm. think it's going to happen I hate to break it to you I think this is it for life well I'll give it another year and I'll see what happens then <laughs> well thanks so much for having me today it's been lovely talking to you and just seeing around your farm and I'd urge any of the listeners to get in touch with you to take a spin out some Saturday lovely thank you Sharon You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and if you've just joined us, we heard earlier from Sid Sheehan of Nourished by Nature in Listowel about what to put in your child's lunchbox and how to improve their immunity. And just before the break, you heard me out visiting Eileen O'Sullivan at Black Hill Farm just outside Arda in County Limerick. Eileen is open every Saturday from 2 o'clock until 5 o'clock during the summer months and in September also. So if you're in that neck of the woods, you turn left at the traffic lights. If you travel from Newcastle West towards Arda, turn left at the crossroads there with the traffic lights and head up the hill. I think it's exactly one mile up the, the road. It's a bit bendy there and on the left is Black Hill Farm. Eileen puts her signs up whenever she's open. But if you want to get in contact with her and you want her details, you can drop me an email s.noonan at live.ie.
Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the best possible taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you know you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show. So still to come tonight, Cathy Choihan from Loch Ney Fishermen's Cooperative Society will be telling us about the River to Loch Festival that's on this Saturday in County Antrim. But before that, it's time for a drink with Ron from Forestal Wine Merchants. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Welcome, Ron. Thanks, Sharon. We missed not having you last week for your usual slot, so we're delighted to have you back tonight. No problem. Sorry about that. It's quite all right. Quite all right. And tonight you're going to try and keep the holiday feeling going for those that have maybe had a holiday in France over the summer and you've brought in a selection of French wines. Absolutely. With the idea being that that France is probably the most mysterious of all the wine uh, countries to deal with. And the fact that people may have been there on their holidays would have seen, drank French table wine and vin de pay wine which is the standard good value wine you'd find in France but it's a bit of a mystery over here as to what to buy when you get into a shop um, or from me so with that in mind I've brought a few good value um, rural French products so we have uh, two wines from um, from Languedoc in France which is the south of France um, one of the biggest winemaking regions in the world uh, produces more wine than Australia, that region on its own. The region on its own produces more yeah. wine than the whole of Australia, whole Australia. as a country. Oh, absolutely. Wow. And it tends to be good value, easy drinking, uh, most of it. There's much better stuff as well. But it's full of individual winemakers who own 15, 20 acres, grow grapes on it, uh, sell it into a cooperative, and that's the wines that you'd see ending up in the supermarkets. Um, now, I've brought a couple here from uh, Domaine de la Penede, which is a, a brand new one to us. This literally arrived in the country about two weeks ago. Uh, a really nice producer, um, produces a range of wines. This is the entry-level one. It's a, it's a Viognier in the white and a, a Cabernet Franc um, in the red, uh, Grenache in the red. Really easy-drinking house wines in a good restaurant, that kind of product, costing around just over 10 euros a bottle. They look like very expensive wines yeah. the bottle the packaging the label everything looks very high end yes it is yeah they do everything right um i was looking for a range from france that would fit this uh, profile for restaurants that were looking for products that are not in any shops which these aren't and um, and really good quality and the issue is that the issue that you find the shop how these find it hard to sell when they do make it into shops is that there's no grape variety written on the labels at all, so you don't know what's actually in the bottle. So that's the key. So it's the key to a bit of knowledge. So it's easier for me when I'm trying to sell something to a restaurant that you can actually tell them what it is and we sit down and have a taste of it. And, and then they put it on as a house wine, so it's, um, it sells for that reason that it's house wine. Then I've picked another couple. which is a Chateau Chauvenet uh, from Bordeaux in France. And this has the added advantage of being around the same price mark as well, around 10, just over 10 euros a bottle. But it's a Sauvignon, and it has Sauvignon written on the label, and it's 100% Sauvignon. So that has a, an advantage like that, that people know exactly what's in the bottle. And this is in a cork, which is always nice, and opposed to a screw cap, um, because they're getting harder and harder to find. I've taken a Bordeaux Place Royale. This is a, like a sister wine of this one. A little bit more expensive. Um, a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Cabernet Franc, which is a traditional kind of Bordeaux blend. 
Um, this is a lovely drink, more kind of wintertime, maybe a little bit heavier than you'd have during the summer. And then the two over here is Pacho, Pacho which is a, a range, again, from what, part of it is from Burgundy and part of it is from Languedoc in France. Um, the Merlot, the um, Pinot Noir and the Chardonnay in the range are from Burgundy and the Sauvignon Blanc is from uh, Languedoc because they don't grow any Sauvignon Blanc in Burgundy. My gosh, there's a fact for the for the next pub quiz. Well, that's where Chablis comes from, Chablis, Poulifousse, uh, Chassé, Montrachet, which are all Chardonnays. They're all 100% Chardonnays. Yeah, and I quite like Chablis now. I shouldn't yep. be drinking it, though, should I? Those Chardonnay <laughs> grapes in it. But the idea was, I suppose, the thing is with French wine, and the difficulty people find is when they when they look on a, on a shelf and, and see eight or ten products, that they find it very hard to know what to buy. Um, so the best thing I'd say is that take up the bottle, have a look at the back of it, see if the grape varieties are written on the back of it, which a lot of them will have that detail on the back of it. And and try something different that you haven't tried before because you get very good value. Because if you've been in France and you've been in a campsite down in the south of France, you've been drinking wine for you know four or five euros a bottle that you've been buying in a supermarket that you probably like. Um, and a similar products are back here. It's just a matter of finding what they are. The first bottles there that you don't know what the grapes, it doesn't say what grapes went into them. Do you know what grape variety went into it? Yes, absolutely. And it's written on the back. Oh, it is written on yeah, the back. Yeah, it's written on the back okay. in very small writing. Yeah, but, so it's you know, not on the front, so yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not standing out immediately, okay. Well, see, the French, the French are, are kind of, um, some of them are a little more difficult to, to get to on the marketing side than others. We'd love if they wrote the grape variety actually on the front of the label to really help for, for our end of things, but they feel like they, they produce a product, they'll, they'll tell you what's in it, and they use their, their, um, their family name or their vineyard name on it, and that's it. They don't see the reason to write every piece of information that you might need. But but saying that, it is written on the back of the label, so you will find exactly. And they'll be very specific. They'll tell you if there's two grape varieties in it, what percentage of each is used. In opposed to in Australia, when they say Cabernet Shiraz, chances are it's about 90% Shiraz and 10% Cabernet, but they don't tell you that. It's also useful, I think, whenever it says it goes well with fish or chicken or meat. What do you recommend to go with each of these wines? Well, they're all kind of, the, the French wine is all produced, as I said before on the programme, that they're produced, it's dictated by the food that they have. So you'll find that anything around the, the north of France, which would be Loire Valley, you know, you have Muscadets and, and Sancerres and Sauvignon Blancs, tend to be very aimed towards uh, shellfish and seafood because of the diet that they have. Um, when you get a little more down to Bordeaux, reds take over. You, there's there's probably only 10% of the production in Bordeaux is white, 90% is red. So they go for much heavier traditional real French cuisine. You know, your foie gras, your real heavy, buttery, solid uh, bourguignons, you know, big dishes. Um, and the reds need to stand up to that. And then when you get further down in France, the food gets a little more rustic, you know, a bit more bread orientated and oils because they're getting closer to the Mediterranean so they're more healthy than the north of France and they tend to be the reds tend to be lighter again uh, and the whites tend to be more Sauvignon Blanc kind of acidic sharp drinking so it's it's it, now some of them will tell you now the only thing I'd say about about them telling you on the back of the label what is a good compliment that was written probably about eight years ago chances are um, and what that wine has probably changed significantly in that time, so it may not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it as um, as gospel for anything. But and you mentioned there about some of these bottles can cost four or five euros in France, but obviously mm. you're not going to get that here, and that's because of our tax. Yeah, which is you know it's just 
completely ridiculous. But it's uh, the duty alone is is three twenty a bottle, which is zero in France. So that's three euro twenty, without shipping it out of the country. It's three euro twenty that's added to that four euro bottle, which takes it to seven twenty, and uh, then take the shipping and the moving into the country and everything that cost it is associated with. So it makes uh, the guy in France, uh, the guy who sells you a bottle of wine in Ireland at ten euros is a guarantee of making less than the guy in France who sells it at four euros. Of course, you can be sure yeah. of it. And France is a great place to be buyers. It's great to buy French wine because the air miles and everything are less on it. It hasn't travelled as much as, say, from California or Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're coming, if you have the ability to bring, if you, you know, if you brought your car to France and if you have the ability to bring home a couple of cases, why not? Absolutely. But buy something nice now. You know, buy something Decent. Yeah. Decent you is know, the word I think yeah. you're looking for by something. Why decent. fill your car and, you know, leave a buggy behind you or something to bring <laughs> four euro bottles of wine? Like, buy something nice. Buy a Chablis, buy a Sancerre, buy something that here would cost you 17 or 18 euros, but over there would cost you 10 euros. That's where you make a difference. That's where you make the. Because same. at the end of the day, that four euro bottle tastes lovely sitting in the sunshine, but Absolutely. it isn't going to taste as good sitting in West Limerick on a cold winter's night. So, yeah, I would I would agree with you there that we need to get out of that mentality of buying the cheap, cheap stuff and yes. buy quality over Absolutely. quantity. Because you'll spend, if you buy your bottle and bring it home here, you'll spend your time telling people how nice it is and opposed to them actually thinking how nice it is while they're drinking it. Because when you had it, you were sitting in a, you know, in 32 degrees at 7 o'clock in the evening, you know, it was lovely. But... Uh, it's it's not worth the trouble. Whereas if you buy a Sancerre, you buy a nice Bordeaux, you know, buy a nice Saint-Emilion or something from Bordeaux, which you, you'll make a saving on, a significant saving on, and to get a couple of cases of that and bring that home and keep that. Much better. Yeah, because I, I have been guilty of that, buying the six bottles that are good value, and by the time I'm opening the third, not in succession, I'm thinking, you know, I, I just I'm don't over like it. this. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> over it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I'm over it. It is quality over quantity now, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if people want to find out more about these wines, where do they go? Well, it's uh, 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 uh Facebook Forestal Wine Merchants. All the information is on there on how to contact us. And we can send out a list. We have a list with 180 wines in, it in total, and it's growing by the day. So it is. So it's um, as more people look for things, particularly when they go on holidays, uh, you have seven or eight requests of people looking for particular things that you may have on the list before. So that we send it out to you, and uh, you can break up a case into. 12 bottles of six different types no problem at all okay great Ron thanks a million for coming in tonight and we look forward to your return next month no bother thanks Sharon you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break you heard me talking to Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants and earlier on in the show we heard from Sid Sheehan about lunchbox ideas and I met Eileen O'Sullivan at her organic Black Hill farm outside Arda in County Limerick. You can listen to those interviews again if you wish when they go up on The Best Possible Taste podcast which is on soundcloud.com and they'll be posted there later in the week. 
Now, as you know, I love to bring a bit of Northern Ireland to the show regularly. So when I heard about the River to Loch Festival that is showcasing all that is good about Loch Ney and in particular eels, I just had to find out more. And Cathy Choihan, Product Development and Marketing at Loch Ney Fishermen's Cooperative Society, is on the line now to tell us more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Cathy, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sharon. The River to Loch Festival, which is on this Saturday. Why did this festival start? The Loch Ney is the largest lake in the UK and it's the heart of Northern Ireland. It is a beautiful, tranquil setting and it also supports a lot of thriving businesses and activities. Um, so really, we want to ensure that uh, people get an opportunity to learn a little bit more about Loch Ney and the fish that um, originates from it. Um, I'm representing Loch Ney Fishermen's Cooperative Society and I'm the Product Development and Marketing Manager here and um, it's important for us uh, to ensure that people are aware of uh, the Loch Ney Eel and how it's now a member of the Food Elite of Europe. Um, it's got PGI registration and it was the first product in Northern Ireland to um, achieve this. It is renowned for its texture and its flavour um, both as a fresh and a smoked product and therefore we would just want to use it as an opportunity to allow people to come in and to see our premises and to get an idea of what uh, happens within our doors and also to get to know what our fishermen do and have an opportunity to talk to them and find out a little bit more about their stories and what the traditions that they pass down throughout the generation. Is it just the eels that come out of Loch Ney or are there other fish? Well, there are a number of other fish um, that uh, come from the Loch Ness as well. However, um, we are in this instance primarily focusing on eels. Um, but in saying that, we have a number of chefs coming along to do demonstrations, and some of them will also be cooking with pollen and dolichin, which is a freshwater trout. And both of those fish um, are very much renowned throughout the area for their, their texture and their flavour, and they're, they're quite unique as well. So. We will be um, spending a little bit of time um, letting some of our visitors get familiar with some of the recipes that they can use to cook these products as well. I would imagine eel can be a hard sell at times. Certainly, um, for communities around the loch, it is um, part and parcel of um, our traditions and our cultures and our eating habits. You move a few miles away from the loch shores and certainly there's a lot of people, even in Northern Ireland, that have never tasted eel. We've spent a lot of time um, since I joined the company in last July uh, going to events, um, cooking for people and getting them and giving them an opportunity basically to try the product. Uh, to be honest, about 80% of the people have never tried eel before. Um, out of that 80%, 80% will try it for the first time and there's been rarely a negative comment made. Most people, people come back and actually say, can I have another wee bit? So um, I think what puts people off probably is the fact that it doesn't look like other fish. It is very unique and it doesn't have any scales and it's, you know, quite slimy. So that kind of puts people off. But I think once they get past that and actually try the cooked product, they're very, very pleasantly surprised. I personally hadn't tried it and haven't grown up, I'd say, about half an hour from Loch Ney. I grew up in Ballymena in County Antrim. It actually took me to be in Ballymaloo at Litfest earlier this year when Ox in Belfast did a pop-up restaurant there. And they had eel as part of their canapes. It was smoked eel and it was fabulous. 
Yes, smoked dill is a very traditional food in other parts in Europe, probably more so than here. And certainly 80% of our um, live product goes to Holland, whereby it's smoked and it's uh, uh, marketed throughout Holland and Germany. Um, about 20% of our product also goes to London, um, where the majority of that is jellied. Um, but what we do want to do is bring back local food to local people. And um, we do want to get out there, let people know that we're here, that we have products available and try to um, drive home um, the local products throughout Ireland, Northern Ireland and even the UK as well. Um, smoked deal in particular uh, is very, very good. It has very versatile but what we have found with fresh eel is that it can be used in so many different ways it is very versatile it absorbs flavors really well it's fantastic um, in asian cookery um, and also in curries but it can be used in stews and in lots of different ways so it is quite versatile it's a very barbecue friendly food as well um, traditionally it's cooked on the bone in small cups um, now the cook time that way is quite long um, it takes about an hour, but um, it's a delicious um, oily fish and it's very, very easy to eat off the bone. So it's great finger food. Um, but you can quicken the cooking up by obviously filleting it, um, by marinating it, by putting it in the oven as well. So it's, it, there's lots of different ways, particularly for people who you know want to try different flavours as well. Is it a very bony fish? There is, one is it a fish? Do you call it a fish? Is it a fish? Yes, it is a fish, okay. yeah. And, um, you know, if I had to liken it to uh, a fish, it is quite unique and it is sometimes quite hard to describe it for people who've never tried it before. But um, I, I would liken it to the likes of um, mackerel or hake with regards to texture. Flavour-wise, it smells quite fishy when it's cooking, but um, it's not actually a particularly fishy food to eat. Um, and uh, there is one long bone that runs down... Uh, with small bones protruding from that. And what I find is when it's properly cooked, it really does slide off the, the bone. And there's very rarely that you would, it's not like plaice or any of those other fish that the bone's very spiny and it's, you know, it's, it's um, quite easy to, to come away with the flesh. Uh, the, the flesh falls off the bone. It's actually quite easy to cook when it's, or eat when it's properly cooked. Is it a nutritious food? Well, eel being a fish um, obviously has, very important fish oils in it. Um, it uh, the oil content is quite high um, and that's what makes it quite ideal for the smoking process. Um, it gives it a great succulent um, texture afterwards. Obviously during cooking a lot of the oil um, comes out and in fact there's a little um, known tradition around the lock where um, basically people keep the oil after cooking and they believe that there's some medicinal benefits to the relief of joint pain. I've even had people come in um, for eel oil for their horses as well. So, you know, there's that great belief that the, the oil, um, which has got omega-3 and 6 in it, um, does have these uh, traditional uh, medicinal benefits. Um, so, yeah, certainly as a, as a fish, it's, uh, you know, got good protein and it's certainly got some great fish oils there as well, which only give it a fantastic flavour and texture as well as everything else. This Saturday you're opening your doors from 12 o'clock until 5 o'clock and there's lots happening there at the Eel Fishery in Tum. That's right. Um, the festival itself, um, this is our second year. Uh, last year we didn't really know what to expect at all and we kind of thought a few hundred people might come and visit us. But in fact we had close to 2,500 visitors and uh, this year we want to put on an even better show and we're hoping that we can surpass that with regards to activities that are available on the day as well as the number of people that would like to come and visit us. And some of the things that we will be um, 
trying to uh, let our visitors experience are things like understanding the eel heritage. So we'll have a, an exhibition on show as well as heritage boats. We'll have some fishermen telling stories and some factory tours and demonstrations on fishing techniques. Um, we'll also have some craft stalls and some street food available. Um, but I think most importantly this year that will um, define it from last is that we'll have a taste and dine experience, our own pop-up restaurant on site uh, where we'll be doing a traditional eel supper and we'll also be um, having a little bit of pollen and smoked eel uh, for people to try as well. We do have James McIntosh um, and he is going to be our host chef of the day doing three demonstrations as well as some other local chefs. Paula McIntyre, um, Eddie Atwell from Matara and David Gilmore from James Street South who are all fantastic chefs, all have some experience working with eel and have been doing a little bit uh, of trial and error in the kitchen as well in the run up to this so I am really looking forward to seeing what fabulous dishes they have um, to offer and they may as well also be working with pollen and dolichin so for people that maybe don't want to try eel there might be other fish on offer. I must just remind the listeners that James McIntosh has been on the show before and he's huge in China on China TV. That's right, yes. I mean, he's, um, he's a great personality and he's a multiple international award winner. So we're absolutely pleased to have him on board. Um, he uh, has a great love for local food and he um, adores eels. So he has been using the past number of months actually to be working with our product. He's going to be incorporating some global food trends in some of the dishes that he's going to be doing as well. In fact, for any um, chefs listening, uh, he's also going to be doing a chef masterclass for us on the 20th, the day before, at a local hotel here. So if any chefs are interested in coming along to that um, and getting to uh, learn a little bit more about eel, uh, James would be delighted to have them. So if they want to, they can tweet me at Lochney Eels or contact our uh, main office and we can take their details and put them on the list. It's a free event for any chefs that um, either locally or anywhere in Ireland that like to attend that. Cathy, it sounds like a wonderful event and it's all taking place this Saturday, the 29th of August. So all the event information is on the website rivertolock.com. That's right, indeed. And we've got a Facebook page as well if anyone would like to find out a little bit more about what's going on. Fantastic. It's been lovely to talk to you. Best of luck with it. Thanks very much, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Lovely to chat to Cathy. And if you find yourself at Loch Ness this weekend, I'd love to hear how you get on. So do let me know by dropping me an email, s.noon at live.ie. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for joining me and thanks to all of tonight's guests, Sid Sheehan, Eileen O'Sullivan, Ron Forrestal and Cathy Choi Han. I'll be back next week all being well. A very sad mummy having waved child off to school, but it has to be done. So until then, enjoy the last few days of August and bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!